The perfect Father's Day gift is the Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig with over 30 cocktails, including the new Jack Daniels Lemonade. Get dad what he really wants at drinkworks.com slash dad. Now through Father's Day, when you spend $349, click through to receive a $100 rebate. That's $100 back at drinkworks.com slash dad. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect Father's Day gift. Get yours today at drinkworks.com slash dad. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc. Used under license. Drinkworks, Williston, Vermont. Please enjoy responsibly. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer and this is Authentically You, Social Interaction for the Mind and Soul. So for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. All right, so it's kind of that time of year. Um, Everybody wants to be thinking about the new year and changes and I don't know there's just something about the dark days of winter that make you a little bit more self-reflective and make you want something new and fresh (laughs) and and so that's where you know goals and resolutions always kind of hit us around this time of year we've talked about them before and we really want to I think steer away from the idea of setting just a few goals or a goal, and then often we're left with disappointment because we don't totally measure up in the way that we want and really look at more of an overall growth on ourselves, a personal growth. So it's interesting because there's always uh, checkpoints in life, yeah, tipping points. So the end of a week, the beginning of a week, the end of a month, the beginning of a month, and a here birthday. We are at the end of a year. End of a year. So what we want to do here is address that setting the goal, while it's important, it's not a priority. There are things that are far greater than setting a goal. As a general rule, setting a goal and then just working toward the goal, many people have the expectation that their behavior is going to change, and that doesn't happen. Yeah, and we always throw on, okay, I want to lose weight. Mm, I want to... I want to expand my mind and read X amount of books. And, and, and I'm not saying that those things are not bad, but I, I think we repeat this process every year and it leaves us wanting a little bit more. And I know what's helped when you've helped your clients is that it's more of a holistic systems approach to overall personal growth. And so how can we really change that mindset into overall personal growth? And what should we be looking at then if we're not going to just be looking at, well, I want, I want to lose 10 pounds and I want to be smarter and raise my IQ or whatever. Beautiful setup, frankly. Um, so for years, I've just done this. I've worked with clients. I've taught them systems and whatnot. And with the advent of technology and what's called um, a learning module, type approach. So when I got my my PhD, it was all online. There was very little brick and mortar. I'm proposing, this is what I've been working with my clients on, I'm taking all the material and going to put it online. So I want to share through these podcasts, the material found in, in what I call a personal growth protocol, which is applicable for home, 
and for work. I teach this at the corporate level on a regular basis. So I've been really diligently working to get this in a sequential format. And that's what I want to share with the listeners today so they can access this information as well. And as I understand, Dr. Herman, this is going to be delivered in the format of a learning management system. That's right. Um, which is, um, in my world of education, is a very powerful way to deliver and give access of content to all ages of, of students. So if you think of yourself at this time of year, being a student of yourself mm-hmm. and your personal growth, right. um, we're going to have that material available for you online. So the website is Center. Dot com, And just by way of information, if you want to access any of our podcast, which takes us back from the very beginning, and it's a direct link to Society Bites, um, it's himmercenter.com forward slash podcast. The material found that we're going to start providing online, and a lot of it will be complimentary initially, is himmercenter.com forward slash resources. So I'm going to go through the protocol um, with my wife right now, and we're going to basically give color commentary on what it means. So we're going to take the text, and this is going to be used for the learning module, the the learning process that you can then access um, through the website. So this is called the Personal Growth Protocol. It's an application in neuroscience and emotional intelligence which is the foundation at the subconscious of how we're going to grow. Yeah, so I want to go back to that whole what causes us to want to set New Year's resolutions and look at the end of the year and want to set goals is that we feel some dissatisfaction, so we think we're going to fix these little things. And let's let's really look at if there's a point of dissatisfaction, what holistically can we do to take inventory, not of little things, but of major systems that drive our happiness. Well said. So there are two axioms that drive behavior. One, we're hardwired to connect. And two, we each have a drive to learn, grow, and set and achieve goals. Since we are innately driven to make connections and friends, when we don't connect in a satiable manner, meaning satisfactory, Mm -hmm. that hurts. Yeah. And when it hurts, we medicate. Likewise, when we fail to reach our goals, that hurts. And when it hurts, we medicate. And that's when we get into the cycle of New Year's resolutions. Sometimes we're just um, repeating, rinse and repeating unhappiness without necessarily achieving all of our goals. We might achieve more, but what we end up doing is accumulating more points of I'm dissatisfied with myself. The very, the very idea of setting goals is a temporary drug. It is. You feel good. It's a okay. band-aid effect. I've set my goals. I've got a new membership. I'm going to go on a diet. That makes you feel good in a temporary manner, much like our politicians. They feel good about doing something that they never do. They talk about it, but it never yeah. gets done. And so with that disappointment or that point of feeling hurt, we then turn to Medicaid. The medication is the process whereby someone meets their needs or wants in a misapplied or dysfunctional way. It is an activity that you know one cannot control over time. It becomes something that they cannot control, and then it gets worse and worse over time. It can be this use of a substance or a behavior for the purpose of removing pain, and that puts us in that cycle of then we're just doing the same <laughs> things over 
to remove pain and not really to grow. And I basically just defined in this process the definition of addiction. So now there's three here, three things here that are really critical to understand. As many of you know, um, we refer to what's called my models and definitions book. Mm -hmm. And in this models and definitions book, I put a whole section in there of contextually defining words that I use within my practice. This is not to replace Webster's. This is to give people context, very narrowly focused what specific words mean when I'm talking to them. So we've talked about things like love, etc. Well, here's the definition that I've come up with addiction. Addiction is a way to meet your needs and wants in a misapplied or dysfunctional way. It is any activity that you cannot control and that gets worse over time. It is the use of a substance, which is what we typically think as addiction. And I'm arguing that and or behavior, only 20 to 25% of the population becomes addicted to hard substances, alcohol and drugs. But 100% of the population has a behavior addiction. There are no exceptions and I am being absolute intentionally. Nobody escapes that. And so it's the use of a substance or behavior for the purpose of removing pain or gaining pleasure. It's the forfeiture of agency. We're not going to cover agency today, but that's critical to understand. Then I come up then I had to explain to people, well, what's a functional addict? Because some people think, well, because they can get along socially or they can still hold on a job that they're doing fine. Here's a functional addict. It describes an individual who can socially function despite their primary and comorbid addictions. And what's a comorbid addiction? Well, it's one that you maybe replace for a previous grievous one. Um, so they're connected, but they may not look alike. So often an alcoholic will replace alcoholism with anger. Right. Like they'll, they'll go sober, but a dry drunk is one who has to rinse and repeat rage and anger um, and of course, that's not going to be fun for those that are around them. And they're, so, they're not increasing their happiness. This is really important because I have many clients who are sober for 13 years, 15 years, 17 years, but their life's still a mess. They just replaced one addiction for another. So when we keep statistics on what kinds of addiction recoveries work, <clears throat> what we've really found is that they just replaced it. It's called replacement therapy. And, um, and it's not to say that doesn't work and getting rid of the one, but it still hasn't stopped the addictive cycle. The addictive behavior still exists. Yeah. So social functioning means one can hold down a job and lightly manage friendships. Cognitive, cognitive capacity is not severely crippled by the exogenous or endogenous drug. And then Sherry, would you be good enough to go over rock bottom? There's a myth yeah. about what it means. Well, when they hit rock bottom, when they hit the bottom. Yeah, since we're on the topic of addiction, Rock bottom's always that thing, especially if you're the loved ones or family members of someone who's struggling with an addiction. Um, we think they've got to get to rock bottom and that you're looking for it and you're hoping that this time is it. Well, in the sense of that it's for an individual to have a tipping point where the fear of the perceived pain of change is now less than the known pain of continuing in the addiction. Would you read that one more time? This is this is thick, yeah. but it's really poignant. Yeah. It's where the individual has reached the point where the fear of the perceived pain of change now seems less than the known pain, what they've already been experiencing, 
of continuing in the addiction. For many individuals, there is no rock bottom as they remain eternally in their addictive state or that they go to extreme measures um, to escape the pain, such as suicide or... or. So if there's a rock bottom, there would be no suicide. So in other words, rock bottom is an individual tipping point. So to continue, nobody escapes the trauma of failure in this life. And how does that happen? Why is that so? It's like, we're all failures, Dr. Hammer. We're all failures. It isn't that we're failures. It's that we have trauma. We all have experienced pain in a failure. And and I want to just kind of just throw it out there. Like, yeah, we have to. That's the point. That's the argument is that it's perfect. We've defined perfect a million times here. Uh So perfect is an event or an experience. That's exactly what you need at that time to integrate, to come closer to God. A perfect, a mistake that gets a retake. And we're going to cover that when we get into shadow work. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, we, we talk about growth and then there's the idea of grit and, and it's a shift to think, okay, what has my past that maybe has painful experiences right. or what I'm currently going through or the things that I would love to change about myself that caused me pain? What do they do for me? Um, we've had a son in the last month that's really been dealing with the manifestations of, of stress. Um, he had a really horrible case of shingles and he's come around and, and he wasn't having a pity party about anything, but it was in his face that he's dealing with things he needs to deal with differently. And that shingles made him kind of like, okay, I really got to own it. I really got to own it. And he's owning the physical pain of shingles to say, I'm grateful for pain. He told me this week, I'm grateful for my pain because it's changing me in ways that I know I need. Here's another comment he made. So he's he's started the protocol. I'm working with him on so this He's regular. doing these things. Yeah. And so I, I sent him the um, MP3s that I have, which will be on the website. It'll be at himmercenter.com forward slash resources. So it'll be a free download on how to set yourself up on a daily routine of using mindfulness. He says the mindfulness alone has been the primary um, pain redu- reducer. It's really helped him get through the day. And we know from the research at Harvard Medical Center that that's true. So it's a bit of a, a side note. But I know. I I, need to go can there. I go just a little deeper into the side note? Why not? So a lot of people could argue then, well, well, is mindfulness just another escape of pain like any other addictive behavior? The one thing about mindfulness is it's non-addictive. It's universal in its application to the body. And it has two times plus the um, healing power and the pain reduction power as morphine. So the other thing that's critical, I think, about mindfulness is that, okay, it's not an escape from pain. It's an addressing of. It's an addressing of, and it's a time for you to get direction through your pathway through the pain rather than um, I'll cover it with something that's just a band-aid. In the models book, we have one called the River of Integration. And as mentioned in previous podcasts, it was Ruth's most unfavorable one. She hated it because of how much truth there is in it. What, what you do with mindfulness is you actually look at pain straight on and you address it like a bully. Bullies are closet cowards, right? 
Pain is wonderful if you understand what its purpose is. But the medical society today run from pain. They think you have to medicate pain, that it's somehow bad. That's the exact opposite approach because now when you do have pain, all you know how to do is medicate it. An outside-in medication is the last thing that would ever work. So by using mindfulness, you're able to do it from the inside out. So why do we all, back to the original point, why is it that no one escapes trauma in life? Because at birth, we're hardwired to connect to our community means mom, dad, and parents. If you connect in a healthy manner to mom, dad, and parents, you become dependent. You've attached and accepted your community. By so doing, attaching means that you develop trust, respect, and you get the three A's. And we'll cover that, the sayings of the three A's a little bit later. And when you accept, that means you're in a flow-through position. You know how to hold boundaries with civility. You're learning the right skill set in the first half of life so you can move the second half of life. If you don't, you cannot go to independent and you cannot go to interdependent. And you end up acquiring endogenous and exogenous addictions. Remember, 20 to 25% are exogenous. That's the drugs and the alcohol. But all of us develop some sort of behavioral compromises, dysfunctions, maladaptions, whatever you want to call them. And that's why all of us will have some degree of challenges in our life. We've got to have them or we can't grow. If there's no resistance, there's no growth. Since we all fail to some degree in making connections and achieving goals, our happiness, joy, and well-being is decided by our ability to understand and live in acceptance. Real quick, what does acceptance mean? Just read the first part of that, Sherry. Yeah, it is acceptance is the ability to channel energy around or through the body and mind instead of collecting it like a reservoir. That's really enough. In other words, when we're in resistance, we let other people control our behavior, our moods, our attitudes, our mm -hmm. thoughts, and our feelings. Oh, you made me so angry. You're in resistance. You just gave someone permission to make you angry. So what's your immediate reward? You're actually getting an opioid, an internally produced opioid, that's going to give you that temporary feeling of pain reduction by letting someone else take over, control you. Okay. When we fight our pain, which is the river of integration model, when we fight our pain, it increases and we move to resistance, maladaptive behavior, stress, anxiety, addiction, and our pain increases to the degree that we resist it. Codependency would be a classic example. Let's just say I'm codependent upon you and therefore my expectations are you're going to heal. To the level that I resist you, because I have an immaculate wait, wait, perception. Wait, break that down again. So you you see something in me that's broken. Yeah, let's just say you're addicted to is, X, whatever yeah. it is. And your happiness is defined that if I don't if I don't get fixed. Right. So you're my spouse and you're thinking of all the ways you can fix me. And that you should be doing things, so I'm shooting on you, which is a cognitive distortion. Mm-hmm. And so you're just seeing all my faults and mm -hmm. all my problems. But you have and, a plethora. And then I need to be fixed. And right. so maybe you even go and get some professional help for, for me. For you. For me. And I'm mm -hmm. a detective. I watch everything you do. I mm -hmm. monitor you. And, and then, you don't do it. And then you start, re you know, mentally recording down. Um, I did X, Y, and Z at 
8.02 a.m. on Thursday the 25th, whatever, you know, it's like you've got this list. You've got all this data collected emotionally on me that you could make the case. I am so broken and your energy now is fueled by keeping that data going and that narrative going on me. And on the extreme levels, I've seen this happen with young couples and older couples where one of the codependent ends up gaslighting the the addict and completely plays with their game, which is so, a, a different so, well, we'll break that down. That that word gaslighting means it, it, it gaslighting is an extreme measure of actually brainwashing someone to think that it really is their fault. Right. So it, it's not the scope of today, but that's an extreme measure of, of codependency. That's a how far it can go. Right. So the idea is that we're 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 hardwired to connect when we don't we we medicate and when we medicate we oftentimes move to addictive behavior. Okay. So in this process, um, we're going to focus on the two axioms that are rather unique in this approach. What makes it unique is not some new scientific discovery that is equivalent to some kind of magic pill or get fixed quick to cure all. No, we're going to. Um, you know, anything that sounds like a miracle is probably going to actually do more harm than good. So we have to kind of race that that panacea, um, searching, always looking for the, the the thing that's going to fix all of our problems, ourselves or our family or our loved ones. Um, the thing like with lottery winners is that they're never better off than their financial um, for their financial windfall, it's they get you know a whole lot of something good in their life, and it actually creates more misery. Contrary to that, um, they they actually become compromised. They end up bankrupt, in jail, and there's a lot of data to support that. When I share this with financial planners, they just smile because they know that lottery winners don't understand the rules of engagement for money. Yeah, so that that's the whole point. Like anything that's going to fix quick isn't going to address what this protocol, what growth protocol does, is that is a, a holistic system. So this process teaches you the habits and principles of happiness, joy, and well-being. We've defined those. We will define them further. Nothing is new, only the application and the process. As a general rule, few people are taught these principles at home, school, church, or work. So if you want to change, if you want to grow, if you want to find greater happiness, joy, and well-being, the process, and I'm going to underline this verbally, the process is guaranteed to work to the level you implement it. In my experience in the office, those clients who implement the process, they set their fears aside, they set their pride aside, they simply follow through the protocol. The growth, the understanding, and the changes they make are amazing. It's not like driving through a, going through a, a drive-through. It is literally, though, amazing when you come to understand behavior is really challenging to change. You can't cheat, you can't skip, cram, or selectively choose your new habits, principles, or assignments. Follow the program and you will notice a difference because the principles oftentimes are sequential in nature. They build on each other and you wanna learn how to build that through. Yeah, so I can say the importance of this overview that we're giving on the growth um, protocol is that um, you've got to understand that so that your expectations are set right. right. Like so, you you say, oh, it's amazing to see the results, but then that's going to set people up to think, okay, it is a panacea. I do want that. It's a miracle. Well, no, not no. in that sense. It is in the diligence, and we talk about diligent practice, D- deliberate practice, deliberate right. practice. 
Um, but in the diligence of that deliberate practice, you will see the changes and a, and a holistic change. So this personal growth protocol is a self-guided journey into a lifelong process of growth, learning, and practice. It is the practice of being a lifelong learner. If followed, the habits develop, change comes, and the awareness of life will have a profound impact upon your happiness, joy, and well-being. The principles found within this journey, they're universal, which means you can apply them anywhere, home, work, community, church. They'll have an effect everywhere. And the pattern, we're going to recap this now. The pattern here is the happiness, joy, and well-being are achievable by following principles and a system. You don't need therapy. You don't need counseling. What you really need is a, a system. And and so we haven't revealed, we've talked in previous podcasts about some of the aspects of this growth protocol, but we're going to go over in our next segment and dive deeper. This was an overview for the setting of proper expectations to kind of get rid of that idea of um, what leads to codependency. And That's right. it's darn well one of the worst and most vicious addictions. Um, so changing that shift and getting that out of your expectations is important. So my takeaway as a recap on this one is <clears throat> a quote from Dr. Deborah Graham. Judge the process, not the outcome. James Clear was very clear. Don't set the goal before you understand your identity. So in the next segment, we're going to continue the overview, but get a little bit deeper into the process. So as a reminder, you can get all these podcasts and all the way back to the beginning at himmercenter.com forward slash podcast and then forward slash resources to pick up some of the material. So Sherry, just a quick um What's the takeaway from today? And then I'm, we're setting it up for in the next segment, we're going to continue the, the growth protocol. Um, it's definitely a shift of my expectations to kind of get rid of the little nitty gritty goals that I heap onto myself that really put me into a, a cyclical addictive behavior of um, failure and, um, you know, could make me feel not so great about myself when I don't reach them all. Um, and even if I do reach them, it's a very temporary hurrah. I really want to see satisfaction in relationships and how I connect with others. And I can see that that focus comes from this. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We appreciate it, everyone. We look forward to talking to you again in the next segment. It's a different world right now. How we live, work, and learn has changed. We're home more, online more. And at Post University, we understand all online experiences are not the same. We've been providing online education for 20 years and have graduated thousands of students. With our advanced technology platform and a support team with the expertise of more than 2,000 faculty and advisors to assist you, this is what online is meant to be. Text DEGREE to 4747 today to learn more. Introducing the Her Journey Around the World started in our overflowing bathroom sink policy from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote.
Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com for homeowners policy information. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.